ass with Victor Pacheco. Hello. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Poppycock Podcast with your host, Victor Pacheco. We got a very special episode today with a very legendary guest, the one and only Mr. Tommy Chong. Hey, thank you. Thank you for the clap. Appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm really out of breath right now. I'm really excited. Uh, I smoke weed. I'm a pothead. Um, uh, this is it's, it's an honor to have you on, on, on my podcast. It's, it, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, how are you doing today? Good. Where are you uh, recording from? I am recording from my <laughs> my one bedroom apartment in uh, Santa Monica. In Santa Monica. Oh, so you're local. Yeah, I'm local. Yeah. yeah I've been doing uh, overseas. I've been all over the world. It's kind of cool. You know, they say, uh, ask, where are, you, where are you from? Oh, we're in Ireland or we're in Scotland. And now we're in Santa Monica. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Santa Monica. What's messed up is I, I moved from Oakland and it was ranked number recently number one most violent city oakland number nine santa monica and i'm like great i moved from hood to hood it's just like just the 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 crime rate keeps following me no matter what's going on but you know it's it's your uh level of income I'm 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 in a nice part. There's a there's a pool in my in my apartment complex. That's what I mean. See, the <laughs> income, the better the place. Yeah, there's still a uh, unfortunately there's a homeless encampment two blocks away, and I'm just well. That's okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. You know, they I they don't get the homeless as rent free apartments. Yeah. Rent free apartments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Free rent. You know, absolutely, and like um, it's you know, there's the it's easier to get. You know, years ago, uh, the homeless were called hobos. Yeah, no, I mean, some people still call them hobos. Hobos. Well, the hobos, the Cree, they, they had a whole uh, organization and they had their, their uh, do's and don'ts. And one of the do's was that there were people that owned homes and resident, you know, but they loved to binge. And so they would go and hang out with the homeless or the hobos. And uh, so they wouldn't, you know, go get drunk for a few days and uh, go on a binge. And then, you know, do the hobo life, including cooking out or whatever you had to do. And then they would uh, go back to their lives. And and I'm guessing the same is going on here with the homeless. Because, you know, think about it. To live on the street. You have to have your shit together. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You got to be tough. You got everything you own in, in that little shelter, whatever it is, and you're out on the street. You got no protection, so to speak. And uh, and you're you're and if there's predators out there, which there are, <laughs> think about it on the street, especially. Uh, so the ones that you know, I look at them in uh, with a whole different. Uh, bit of respect because the ones you know that you see that are visible there they got their shit together one way or another you know either there's too crazy for anybody to deal with or or they're smart enough to know how to deal with everything so that's my take on the homeless (laughs) no for reals i mean like i just I, i i try i go out of my way to humanize homeless people by acknowledging them 
and letting them know I'm broke as fuck. And, you know, you're broke as fuck when homeless people are telling you, oh, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. I'm like, I'm crying in my car and I'm like, I'm a piece of shit. I don't deserve love. And this homeless person's telling me they're going to pray for me because I'm so broke. Like, holy shit. Like I'm doing like a, a bar show for tip money. Not even it's ga- not even, you know, it's like two gallons of gas. Well, it depends where you live. But uh, <laughs> right now, <laughs> you, you know, that's all that's all good. Um, like warming up, you know, you know, when you go to a gym, you got you just don't jump into it, you know, unless you're crazy. You got to warm up, you know, and and that's that's, that's what we're doing half our life. <laughs> Mr. Tommy Chong, you're talking to the wrong guy about a gym. Like I, <laughs> I've been trying. I actually did lose a weight since the pandemic because I got up to 406 pounds. Oh, you did. Oh. And now I'm 335 now, so I'm still oh. still heart attack territory. But I'm doing a lot better now. Well, you know, uh, you, you know, at least you're happy. That's amazing. You know? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean. We're, we're all going through our, 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 the course that we wrote ourselves, you know, when we, when we, before we come into a new life, we, we sort of plan it out, plan it out and decide what we need in order to evolve. And, and this is what you got this time around and it looks like it's doing good. Yeah. Podcast. That's one thing. Dude. And I got one of my comedy heroes. I mean, I'm talking to right now. It's so funny because all due respect, I I work with a lot of celebrity comedians. My mom has no idea who they are. I told my mom I was interviewing you and she said, El Marihuano. I'm just like, mom, come on. Like, you know, like that. You judge. Okay, so, yeah, that was actually like one of my questions. Uh, Why do you think that marijuana specifically like marijuana users to a lot of people, like we get treated like we're heroin addicts, like, like we, we're do like meth addicts. Like I've had that experience where I've, I'm like stigmatized because I have chronic pain. I'm smoking a, a joint and then it's like, Oh, look at him. He's a, Oh, and I've actually had people tell me like, excuse me, that's a very offensive smell. So I'm like, you know, you've been a stoner longer than me. So <laughs> So like, you know, like you've been a stoner in different decades. You know, I've only been a stoner since the 90s. And so but I was born in the 80s. So anyway, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was smoking weed at 11 years old. But uh, I was wondering uh, when. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, why, why do we get such a bad rap as pot smokers? Well, because it's a racist law. You always got to remember, you know, there was cannabis. See, before they called it marijuana. It was known as cannabis, and better yet, it was known as hemp. And during the war, you know, the government mandated that farmers grow hemp because they needed hemp. They needed the ropes for the ships. They needed the canvas for 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 the uniforms. They needed they needed hemp. And so, but when uh, they decided that, uh, especially Hearst. You know, the publisher, when they decided in order to sell a lot of newspapers or to sell any a movie, newspapers, anything, you need conflict, 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 conflict. 
And so as a result, the Hearst people, the newspaper, they went looking for the obvious enemy. And in every society, the obvious enemy are usually the ethnically uh, diverse but poor, the ones that have peasants in their lineage, you know. And so they get demonized <clears throat> because, they, in other words, they get shit on because they're poor. And, and if they're poor and brown, well, then, whoa, you know, they get another category. But, look, but look, look what happened during the Second World War when Hitler decided. See, Hitler was trying to get an uprising going in a very white uh, country. And so the only uh, enemy they could find were the Jews because of their belief. See, and, and the weirdest thing, the, the, what they did for the conflict, they had to pick the weak so they could bully and do what they did. And, and, it, and what happens in society today, especially um, in all the countries in the world, there's a rich poor thing going, you see. And that's why the communists, they're, they're very dishonest about it, because what they say is that we're going to split everything, but they don't. <laughs> Again, they got their hierarchy, and then they got their, the, the ones that need a key, you know. And, and, and that's the way it is with, with, with the human experience. We live in a very um, physical world. And in, in the physical world, you can't have one without the other. You need both. You need up. If you don't have up, you don't have down. If you don't have right, you don't have left. If you don't have evil, you don't have good, you see? And so all the opposites, and that's the, the physical world where we live in, you see? And don't forget, the physical world uh, the, is always moving. It's always changing. Like the I Ching says in, in, in you know, the, the I Ching, this great Chinese philosopher's uh, book uh, that I studied quite a, quite a bit. They say that uh, um, the physical world, uh, I, I lost my train of thought. They, it, it, the violence that we that we see every day is a necessary part of our existence. See, the very earth was born out of violence, you know, and so violence, which is change, change where you go from peace to chaos, where you where where things get mixed up, you know, like a storm is a good example, a hurricane, you know the physical things that just take everything and shake it up and then and then move on and and as a physical world this is where we live in okay so you got opposites you know and 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 that's what we have and that's what we we've always had like you you got spanish in your blood right absolutely yeah yeah well well you go back in your history and there were times when you guys weren't just the oppressed you were the oppressors yes <laughs> time, you weren't just uh, the the peasant you were the kings the conquistadors were, yes, yes. Hernan, Hernan Cortez there, yeah there, there was a time when when 
when, like, especially with the Spanish Inquisition, where that if you did not believe in, in, in our Lord Jesus Christ, then you got tortured, you got murdered, you got boiled, you got the worst possible thing could happen to you. It's a, it's a physical world that we, we live in. And, and that's why uh, when, when you ask about marijuana and cannabis, when it was used, when it's used as a medicine, it's called cannabis, you know. And when it's used for industrial purposes, it's called hemp. And when they want to use it for racial injustice, they call it marijuana. It's oh. all words. Yeah, and oh my goodness, that is really like multi oh that is so deep that was such that was poetic that was that was poetry right oh my god it's so beautiful um and because beautifully worded because like it's really hard to explain sometimes especially in america to white people because i met white people here in this country that have told me that there's no such thing as racism yeah and i'm just like okay okay dude yes in their mind in their mind there isn't you see, I, I grew up in the, one of the most racist cities in the world, in Canada, called Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Now, it wasn't violent racism, you know, but it was implied and it was a belief system. You know, it was like growing up in a city of Trumpies, you know, where, where everybody believed in what Trump believed, you know, and, and what it was, they would put up with black people as long as they were carrying a football or a baseball and, and they were, you know, <laughs> oh, winning Jesus. the team, you know, <laughs> then they would put up with the black people. In Calgary, there was one Mexican restaurant owned by uh, a Mexican uh, place kit. Of course, he was a, a, a place kicker <laughs> for, <laughs> for the football. He was, he knew how to kick a ball <laughs> and, and he had a Mexican restaurant. And, and other than that, there were no Mexicans that we, that we knew of. There were plenty of natives, uh, the, you know, the Sioux, uh, the Sarsi, the, the uh, Blackfoot, all the, all the tribes of, that were kicked out of America ended up outside of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And that's where I grew up. And you talk about racism because they had the Indian reservations. And back in the day, the reservations, man, they were like prisons. You know, they weren't uh, there for people to re relax and live. They were there to people for people to be, be corralled and guarded and, 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 you know, kept under control. Prison camps, that's what they were. And, and in fact, the Pope was just there apologizing for for their the catholic church taking the kids out of uh, out of the tribes and forcing them to uh, denounce their indian uh, heritage or their native heritage i won't even call it indian it's, it's a native heritage and, and making them uh, you know so they couldn't learn their language or customs or anything they did that and then a lot of them just got murdered got killed for for you know, racist reasons. And, and so the Pope was just there. And by the way, I got to think, <laughs> I don't know if you're a Catholic or not, but uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, 
I had such an epiphany a couple of years ago, <laughs> and, and it just cracked me up. And, and what it was is that when you think of what Catholicism is, okay, it it's a by, byproduct of the Romans when they were in charge. Their God got got murdered by by the first of all the Jewish God, and and then here comes Jesus, the prophet, and so the the, the Romans said, you know, Baal was not making it. Baal was not making the cut. No one even gives a shit about Baal anymore because, but they were talking about Jesus, and so what the Romans did, they said. Okay, we will elevate Jesus to God status, you know. And they did the one thing that Moses told them not to do, which is make a graven image of God. Yeah. Exactly what the Romans <laughs> did, the Christians did. See, early Christianity, they never had the cross as their symbol. See, the cross only came later. Uh, the, the first symbol of Christianity was fish, was the fishes, Pisces. And, and so they, that was the first because of, of Jesus' uh, ability to uh, create, you know, the, the multitude, feed the multitudes with the fish, you know. And, uh, and, and so it wasn't until they wanted to turn the Christians into militants that that they came up with first of all the graven image of jesus being executed on a cross see that became the holiest symbol of all the catholics and they got they got now there, there's so many things wrong with that picture it, jesus is not god obviously because if he was a god he wouldn't be on that cross he wouldn't even be in human form <laughs> <laughs> you know, God is spiritual. It tells you everywhere in the teaching, including Jesus' teaching. And now Jesus taught everything, and the and the, the Roman Catholics went against their went against their own their prophet's teaching. He's a prophet, yeah. and 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 when when you become a Christian, you have to swear that he is the son of God. He was born uh, immaculate conception with Mary and all that story, you know, that whole story. <laughs> but in, in, in reality, the real Christianity never believed that. The real Christianity believed that God is spirit. And when you pray to spirit, when you pray to God, you pray to God in spirit. And, and God made everything that was made. And what God never made was not made. And so everything uh, that we know in the physical world, there has to be opposites. You can't have good without bad. You can't have uh, right without left. You can't have up without down. And, and think about it. In the physical world, there's everything. In, in the opposite of everything is nothing. The spiritual world, there is nothing in it but love and energy. And that's what we are. And so as, uh, as we evolve, 
because we're all evolving and we will all evolve because we're eternal beings. See, we've always been here. You've always been here. I've always been here. And see, this life, you became a comedian. I became a comedian, you know, and here we are having this discussion and we're talking the, the message, the message that I've been, been uh, spreading with everything. Everything that I, 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 I do, I owe to my knowledge of God. It's not belief is the simplest. Yes, belief, that's easy. The knowledge to know, to know why we're here. See, I've been, I've been blessed in every which way you can be blessed. I, I've been blessed with a, a, a great companion, a wife uh, with kids, two wives actually, uh, a great parents, mother and dad, so real, so beautiful, so poor, but yet so rich, wealthy with, with love, because that's, that's, our, that's our riches. Remember uh, when they said, a, a rich man can go through the eye of a needle. Uh, now, how does that work? Um, anyway, they're talking about a rich man getting into heaven is like going through the eye of a needle. And yeah. what, they, what they meant by that was that when you went into a walled city, you had to take all your goods off the camel and then put them through the door, the eye of a needle, they call it. They put them through the eye of a needle to show that there's no weapons, there's no contraband. They knew what you were carrying in there. And, and that's why they said about, that's why Jesus said about the wealthy, you know, it's easier for someone to go through the eye of a needle than to, to get into heaven with all your worldly goods. Because you don't, you don't. When you go to heaven, you don't. The only thing you bring with you is your reputation. Think about that. And we're all we're only here temporary. You know, we're only here for for tiny a semester. That's what I call. It. <laughs> yeah. So that's oh my god, semester. That <laughs> oh my god. Oh dear. yeah, that's Jesus. Yeah. Um. The, the, uh, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say other than like that's 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 beautiful, and I, I really love your outlook on life, and I'm sure that all the Catholics listening or you know are going to be offended and they're going to write letters. I'm just kidding. I don't care. It's just going to be my mom. But I've I, I've I've, I've literally. I've literally asked my mom, I'm like, hey, mom, you know, when you go to like mass on Sundays and you're on your knees praying to God, do you ever think about like those Spaniards that came from Spain and like forced all those Indians to like either become Catholic or be murdered? Do you ever think about that when you're praying to God? And then she's like, no, mijo. I never have. And I'm like, OK, well, maybe think about it. And so, um, you know, just food for thought. I don't know. Well, <laughs> the thing is, everything the Catholic Church praises, you know, is right on. I mean, everything about it is is right on. The only thing is, 
See, in order to make money out of religion, you have to have routines. You have to be able to teach a routine to somebody. And in order for them to get into heaven, they got to learn this particular routine. Now, it can be handed down from family to family, like the Jews do. Like, you can't be a Jew unless your mother's a Jew, you know. Uh, now, you can be converted, but to, to be you know, politically or whatever correct, they've got rules, you see. And what Jesus taught was that there are no rules. There, there's a simple rule, and that's to recognize our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. That's what you got to know. And what, the, what hallowed be thy name means is that God is, we are, is so powerful because God did make this world that we live in, this endless universes that apparently are endless in numbers themselves. And we still can't, there's no edge to anything. Everything is forever. And there's more forever and even more forever. And this is what cracks me up when they say, the universe is expanding. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> it's like there's a lot of things that are expanding, you know, including humans. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's I... a physical world. That's what you do in a physical world. You either uh, go one way or the other, you know. And you keep expanding, expanding until what happens? You break apart <laughs> and you start all little, little, little bits and pieces. So the, the, the thing is, what we, what, what we have to learn, and, and oh, by the way, let, let me get real simple with it, because I've been doing this. Someone asked me the other day, he said, you've been on 370-something podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why is that? I said, well, the word gets out. I get on one podcast, and he said, I had Tommy Chong on, man, you got to hear this guy. Or, well, <laughs> Tommy Chong, period. Teacher Chong, oh, I want him on my podcast. So what happened to me, I was, first of all, I was blessed from birth as we all are you know the story of jesus being born in a manger that's everybody's story by the way you know it's not just jesus everybody you know immaculate conception the father was definitely he he was a, he planted the sperm you know dna showed that but the mother does all the work you know let's face it you know and and we are all from heaven every one of us and we are all are all eternal beings every one of us and it doesn't like the universe is expanding the human race is expanding everything is expanding because this is this is the physical world now what happened to me i got turned on by this guy here his name is joel s goldsmith okay He's a Jew. He's a Jew, but he was, <laughs> he was also a Christian scientist uh, reader, and he was oh. also he's also uh, a, a, um, uh, a Mason, you know, with all the, the the degrees of Masonry 
he, he, he was also a mason and he became a healer and 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 then he started giving talks and his talks turned into books because he, people would record him and he, and what he would when he would talk he would channel the the god he would channel the spiritual world and they would talk through him and 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 it became this book this one's called the master speaks anybody in the book he explains uh our life especially the bible he explains uh, the the bible was written by by men and with great imaginations and the great writing because you're when you're spiritually uh, uh, when you believe in god and you're you're on the path then everything you do he will perfect that which concerns you so no matter what you do you do it at the the, the highest level that you can possibly do like me for instance i've played music with the best in the best bands ever in Motown you know I've uh, directed been in movies starred directed and uh, produced movies I've never went to school I, I'm a high school dropout you know I couldn't pass uh, get into grade 12 because I, I couldn't fathom uh, algebra and I tried a couple of times I tried when I was in prison and, and I failed algebra in prison and they wanted me to cheat they said we'll just give it to you <laughs> and, and I said I can't cheat on a GED test in <laughs> oh my god Jesus I guess there is honor in the prison system I mean that's very oh, admirable because people that, I mean I didn't have to go to school but it was ordained for, like, if you, you know, you're a kid from the ghetto or something, never had a high school, you had to go to school while you were in jail. And so I took that up right away. I worked in the garden, actually, when I was there. But what I'm saying is that I learned real early. And by the way, I do this. I, I talk about this on most of the podcasts that they left, the ones that left me. And, and what, what happens was that real early in my life, I, my mother had TB, so she was, she was quarantined. That's why the quarantine thing never bothered me because I, I never really got to hug my mother until I was uh, eight, nine, about eight years old, you know, because she'd been five years in quarantine. And, you know, and I was like three years old when she got taken away. And then I went to a hospital for a year and then I went to a, a home, the Salvation Army home, like, a, a, yeah, orphanage. And so I was there for, for a couple of years. And, uh, and, and so that's my early, early life, you know. I've been alone, but not alone. I've been with people all my life. See, not like some kids, you know, they were with their mom and dad their whole life or their uncles or whatever, you know. With me, uh, I was with nurses. My first memory was in the hospital with, with, with beautiful nurses hugging me. And going, oh, look, at he's so cute. <laughs> me around. <laughs> so, so I got a real nice titty fixation real early in my life. <laughs> Found out nice and early you were straight with those <laughs> boobies. 
then when I went to the home, because I was so small, uh, and I, I just stayed out of everybody's way. Uh, you know, my brother had a hard time because he was big enough to get bullied. And, and so then he was tough enough to be, become a bully if he wanted to be. And, and so my brother, he, he kind of watched my back. But the whole point is when, when you discover God, like I did, because I was in the Salvation Army home, which was the orphanage, and they, you, you never ate, you never did anything without praying for a, a whole lot of long time. <laughs> but the thing was, the food was so shitty that it takes as long as you want. <laughs> I can't eat this crap anyway. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. I, I, I learned the value of a lot of things the hard way. But I also learned the key, the happiness key. It's called the golden key. Uh, there's another writer named uh, Emmett Fox. He talks about the golden key. Now, the golden key opens uh, everything for you. And, and what it is, basically, is this here. It's how you, yourself, see the other person. When you talk to anybody, like airline ticket lady or cops or anybody and you look for the real soul of the person it's there and when you find it then you compliment compliment in other words you recognize the the the, the soul of the other person even if they don't even recognize it you have the power to bring the soul out in everybody. And by that's why some people uh, do it naturally, just what they're looking. That's Santa Claus, basically. Santa Claus is the best example. Yeah. Because everybody loves Santa Claus. Why? Because he sees you. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you've been sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but you're, you're like skinny Santa Claus then because everybody yeah. loves Tommy Chong. Like, like yeah. seriously. Only people don't like you is the fucking feds. Excuse yeah, my language. Sorry, I slept. I was like, I'm no, not gonna, I'm not gonna cuss. The feds like me. I got to be friends with the guy that busted me. Yeah. Oh, no, dude, that is above and beyond. Wow, that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't because he was just doing his job. See, there's an example of the golden key. There's an example right there. When they busted me, they were all in their SWAT uniforms and. And they had their weapons or AK-15s or whatever it was. And they had them on the ready. And they, they come up to my house. And, and we've got glass doors. And so they're out there banging on the door. And I, I came downstairs with my little jockey shorts on, you know. And I look out. And they look like trick-or-treaters dressed like for Halloween. <laughs> you know, because they're young. Yeah, a lot of them are young and the helmets and shit. But they look like, <laughs> look like kids dressed up, you know. <laughs> It's like trigger or treat, <laughs> but they were busting me, and 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 they come. We have a warrant, and you know and we're going to take all your computers. And it was a drug bust, basically. And so they asked me, "Do you have any marijuana?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." 
<laughs> of course I do. And he says, where is it? I said, well, every room in the house, I guess. <laughs> he, he's like, can you be more specific? I said, well, I got a big butt on my workshop downstairs. And so he tells us, Guy, okay, go down and get it. <laughs> and the guy came back about five minutes later. He goes, I can't find it, sir. And so then I said, what kind of narc are you? <laughs> I said, right on the desk, it would bite. If it was a dog, it would bite you. And he says, uh, well, I don't, I don't have my dogs. And I said, and now that's another thing. What kind of drug bust is this? You don't have a dog. You don't have your dogs. And so the guy says, oh, never mind. Then he told the guy, he says, uh, take Mr. Chong upstairs and get him dressed because <laughs> I'm still standing there in my jockey shorts. And so they, they put me upstairs. Now, this is when I got pissed off. They got me upstairs and they found my little safety deposit box, you know, all locked up. And most people carry that have weapons, they carry their weapons in, in those boxes. And so the guy said, Do you have any weapons in there? I said, No. He says, okay, well, where's the key? So I got the key, opened it up. It's full of cash because we sold T-shirts. Yeah. And we sold my cash. So we had about $20,000, $30,000 in there. They called it drug money. But boom, they took the cash. What else? Oh, looking, oh my God, these they, animals. They were, looking, Jeez. they were looking for weapons. And they couldn't find any weapons because that's what they give a shit about with. And then we come downstairs. I'm all dressed, you know. And and so my wife, now she's all dressed and everything. And she said to me, well, let's go get our coffee. And uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> we're being busted. She's, yeah, so what? Come on. And so <laughs> the guy goes, overheard her. And he goes, uh, ma'am, we're not finished here yet. And she goes, well, are we under arrest? And the cop says, no. She says, well, then we're going to go have our coffee. And he says, why don't you go in the kitchen and make some? And there was a woman uh, also busted with a, from the post office. And, and he says, and so-and-so will help you. And my wife says, fuck you. I need my Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm, I'm got my mouth open looking at it because the guy's got everything, you know, and she's telling him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he, he said to everybody, okay, that's a wrap. <laughs> she literally kicked him out of the house with that. But they got the computers, they got everything they came for. They were just trying to bully us. And my wife does not get bullied by anybody. Oh, she is so cool, dude. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I caught her on the Cheech and Chong roast for the first time. That was my introduction to her, and I was just like, "Wow, that she is funny. She's cool." I was just like, "You, you deserve that. You deserve, I mean, well, everything yeah. that you, you have. I mean, you're, you're well, <laughs> she's really responsible for for Cheech and Chong in so many ways because, you know, I I knew her before I knew Cheech." And, and she was my friend. And then we dropped acid together, made love. <laughs> and uh, yes. we've been together ever since. Yes. 
Yes. Oh, I fucking oh, this is that's yeah. true romance right there. Because you that's know, great. like I tell people, I'm just like, you know, if you want to know if you're with your soulmate, you know, you drop acid with them. And yep. if they're willing to still suck your dick while they're looking at it all cross-eyed, <laughs> then they fucking love you. You need to marry that person. You, know, you really do. You need to marry that woman uh, or non-binary or, or dude or whoever. <laughs> In my case, she uh, she had this incredible business sense. She was born. Well, she's she's half Jewish. You know, her, <laughs> her mother is Jewish. And, and, and her grandfather was a seamstress, uh, a tailor. Taylor um, Goldstein, and so so she, 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 but you know she grew up in Canada, and so they ne they never, you know they wouldn't admit Jews one way or another. But she is Jewish, and we've proven that many times. And she she is well. When I had the club, but to be honest with you, I had a nightclub, and it was doing so bad that I tried to sell half of it to the parking attendant for a hundred bucks. And he would not, he said, because there's no one parking, we're not parking any cars, <laughs> you know? No, it's not a good deal. She, what happened with her, I was playing, we were playing in our band, you know, Little Daddy and the Bachelors were playing around town because we couldn't afford you know, just be in our club. We had to go out and get side gigs in order to make money. She came to one of our gigs, really liked the band, of course. And uh, and then when, uh, you know, we met and then she she had me drop her off at this other club, the, the hip club. But she was so young at the time that the club wouldn't let her, her and her sister in. They weren't regulars by any means. In fact, their parents were out of town. And so the girls had no uh, chaperones or anybody to tell them to be anywhere. So they were in the town being wild. And, but when she uh, went to the first club, they wouldn't let her in. But she already had the address of my club. And so she told everybody with the near site. Now she's gorgeous. She is gorgeous, always been gorgeous. And so she literally pie pipered everybody from the other club, <laughs> the, the hip club, she, they followed her over to our club. And our club after, after that night stayed packed every night for so, uh, close to seven years. Oh my All God. because of her saying, well, I know a club where I can get into. And then we were, we were just friends. And the reason we were friends was because she did not want to have a boyfriend and she didn't every time she'd go up with somebody they would fall in love with her because she's so beautiful and then they get very possessive and and it was just no she wasn't into that at all and so when she met me i was perfect because i'd see her at the nicest time and i had a wife and, and kids so i i was very very safe <laughs> i'm not going to fall in love with her and she's never going to end up with me. You know, I was just like a, a fun thing to do while she went to school because she was still in high school. Well, and then we tried to, I, I tried to break it off. 
you know, I went on the road and then when I was on the road, I never talked to her. Uh, and I, I literally thought, okay, you know, because I wanted to set her free, you know, if we're not going to be together, you know, she's going to find someone else. Well, <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> that did not work. <laughs> and then we ended up when LSD came into the, the, the time we, we did a trip together and uh, we've been together ever since. Oh my God. Do you at, um, have you, um, I don't know how to say this nicely, but are, are you still an LSD enthusiast? Um, no, not really. I mean, I, I, I no, last time I did it was way in the seventies. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I was just wondering. No, because... no, I, I'll tell you, let's, let's go back and you talk about LSD enthusiast. This is what came out of the acid trip, because when I did acid, I got very into a very uh, spiritual mode, which had, which I knew I always have been in. And so what happened to me, I started asking God to turn me on, you know? Yeah, okay, I want to learn more. How, how, how can I learn more? And when you ask for something, a lot of times it doesn't happen. It happens when you're ready. It's like cooking something, you know, you're baking a cake. You don't, you wait until it's baked before you pull it out of the oven. And that's what happens with a lot of humans, you know. You're, we're evolving, but we're not that quick that everything can come to us all at once. And so when, when she, when we got together, and then I started going up the ladder as far as entertainment goes. You know, the band got better because we got a, a, a singer, again, very serendipity. You know, uh, we needed a drummer. The drummer that we had literally quit the band and then he's ended up with a group called uh, Three Dog Night. And that was Floyd. Uh, that was our original drummer. And Floyd was also my brother-in-law, married to his first his sister. <clears throat> and so we had another singer named Bobby Taylor. He, he passed away a few years ago. Bobby Taylor was this genius singer that was troubled, you know, but he was troubled. He was he was damaged goods, but he could sing. And uh, as long as he sang, he was okay, but when he could stop singing, <laughs> he would he would he would ruin his uh, life by being a gangster, you know, just being a ghetto rat, you know, just all of that, all of that, you know, the hard life. Yeah, and there's no one's fault. It's just his karma, you know, what he did. But he sang so good that Motown heard him, signed him right away. Uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes heard Bobby sing. Phone Barry Gordy up. Barry Gordy flew to Vancouver and saw the group and signed us and then forgot about us because he really flew to Vancouver to get some booty from Diana Ross. <laughs> <laughs> it was a booty call. <laughs> and, uh, and a little bit business with pleasure. And, uh, and so we ended up in we ended up with Motown. We had a hit record, which I wrote. And then uh, 
That's awesome. And then the Motown took Bobby, and then I was left on my own. So I ended up coming back, and then I then I uh, I started getting into improvisational acting again, very serendipity, you know. And uh, next thing I know, I, I, I changed a, a strip club that we owned into a uh, improvisational club where we could do improv comedy. And that's how Cheech and Chong were born. That's where I met Cheech. And, and then when I met Cheech, then we got fired. We always got fired from everywhere. <laughs> Why or how? Yeah, we went on to another gig. And, <laughs> We went further up the ladder and kept going. Even to the point where in L.A., I once owned a comedy club. <clears throat> I found an empty club and talked the owner in to let me have it for, for a night. Advertised that we're shooting a movie. Needed extras. Packed the club for one night. And Cheech and Chong performed along with another band. <clears throat> and uh, I, I had a chance to own a, a nightclub, but the owner was so greedy that, that, that he tried to screw us <laughs> out of nothing. <laughs> anyway, we got discovered the next week by uh, Lou Adler and uh, started making records and started becoming, you know, world famous. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just um, I, ca I caught your movies. You know what? I was really thinking about it because like I caught you when I was a stoner as a sixth grader. Um, when I saw half baked, completely stoned out of my mind and it wasn't like like so you can't blame that one on Tommy Chong. You can't um, no. because like that's when I discovered you and then like other people discover discovered you after that too like with the 70s shows zootopia with the younger crowds too i recognized your voice i was like that's tommy chong oh my god i was i was i was like i got so giddy because i'm just like i don't watch previews for movies i just watch them i don't care who's in them and then like i'm like oh my god they're they're, they're this movie that, like, that was them now look it up look it up like look it up right now like you know, but it was uh, it was so funny because I I, I like I love animation, um, and well, I, Zootopia I, was a genius genius animated movie, huh? Yeah, <laughs> you played my, a nudist hippie. It changed my life, really, because for a long time, you know, I was a, a bodybuilder, and uh, and anything overweight was like, oh, you know, uh, it was terrible. But then I saw Zootopia. And then I realized that that in in the jungle everybody exists. There's there's a, a tribe of everything, and everybody, and and you have to respect it and appreciate it and enjoy it. And that's what I did. You know, it changed my whole attitude. Even to this day, even even my son, my son gained a ton of weight. Um, it was a, a what do you call it, a sympathy pregnancy with his wife. She was getting pregnant. Oh. And so, and he was a foodie anyway. And so he just went all balls to the wall and just came <laughs> up like, like now he's in the process of getting back to his, his, his fighting weight. But, yeah. but he, 
and he wanted to be big. He wanted that experience, you know, and, and being his dad, you know, I, I mean, to me, uh, I've always kept around, I've never gone over 180 ever, you know, just 175 usually. And, and, and at first, you know, he, he came to me earlier and he, and he said something like, uh, you know, it was, he said, dad, you went through this phase, didn't you? And I went uh, getting heavy and I did, I did. When I first started bodybuilding, uh, I was real skinny. And so I wanted to gain weight. And so I started eating and I just never stopped until I was 200 pounds you know, close to 200 pounds. And uh, so I, I know the feeling. And, and so, but then, you know, then I met my wife. Uh, and then when we started doing comedy, especially started doing movies, you know, then, then I'm, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to go to California was I, I learned how to bodybuild when I was uh, from bouncers and all the dances that we played at, you know, all the bouncers were fitness freaks. And, and I, I, I couldn't drink and I wasn't that much of a stoner, you know, but I was definitely into uh, bodybuilding. I got into bodybuilding when I was 15, I guess. And I went to the Y and, and the weight room was empty. <laughs> no one in there. And so I went in there and uh, started playing around. And next thing I know, I'm reading books and, and I learned how to do it. And then I got turned on to the, to the Arnold crowd. You know, and so I was in L.A. for, oh, good, I guess about five years. And, and during that time, I, I uh, ended up <laughs> with Cheech. And, and then, but I was still into the Gold's Gym. I was one of the original Gold's Gym at his first gym, the very first gym. And uh, and so I was seriously into bodybuilding to the point, you know, that we, we Cheech and I appeared on Arnold's uh, Mr. Olympia one time because uh, I was so connected there. But <clears throat> but I learned, like I said, about life experiences. You know, when my son asked me, he said, Dad, you, you've been this you've been like this before and it was around two when i when i got married to my first wife because I, I i put on the, the weight but it was i wanted the strength more than anything I've been skinny all my life and so when i started you know filling out shirts and shit i said whoa this is this feels good you know and then strong it was it was a nice feeling yeah i was just about to say it was probably super empowering like yeah. to, to feel just so good and confident and you know it's just everybody has well not everybody but a large amount of people have like body dysmorphia and you know to be able to feel proud and you know i that's that's awesome man like you know i'm happy for you and like you know and i'm, I'm happy that you're still in good health and that you're you know you're you're health conscious and you know um there uh i wanted to ask you um because you were public about your prostate cancer yeah. And so I was wondering, um, uh, two part question. Um, what did you do to keep uh, mor your morale high? And did you take RSO? 
Well, Mar- Morel was, I had no problem with that because like I said, you know, I've been spiritually inclined since I was a, a baby. And so when anything happened to me, I always take it as a learning uh, thing. Oh, I got to learn about this now. Oh, you know, and so when I got the prostate cancer, I was in prison. That's why I got it. And you know why I got it is because I quit smoking pot. See, as long as I smoked pot, I was cancer free. But the, the year, I, I was almost three years where I went without smoking anything because I had to prove to the world and especially the, the prison officials that Tommy Chong, when, he's, when you tell him to quit smoking pot, he listens. And, and so I never smoked a joint, nothing. I never broke the law at all until I was totally off probation. And then, then I started smoking again. But what happens, because the cannabis is such a good medicine, it's also preventative medicine too. And, and, and I've, I've got friends that will swear by it, you know, that uh, everybody around them, you know, got cancer except them, you know. And so when I got prostate cancer right away, and like I, get, like I said, it was probably in the prison that I was in because it was, uh, the prison was built over a, a toxic waste dump. And oh as my a result, God. most of the, the guards that were there when I was there are gone, dead. Uh, some of the, quite a few of the prisoners and, and some uh, uh, counselors too. There's a Miss Strickland, beautiful lady. She was our camp, our, our counselor, but she, she got cancer and uh, brain cancer. And everybody oh in the jail, they, and they had a thing in the prison called, um, what was it called? Uh, um it was a wasting disease. Uh, I can't think of it now. Fibromyalgia? It was like... Um, Sorry. It was like the pandemic. It was like the pandemic. When the wind blew, you know, in the desert, you had to come indoors and shut everything down. Uh, desert, uh, what's it called? I almost said it. Desert fever? Uh, Typhoon? No, it was... <laughs> Uh, waste and disease called <laughs> oh, you know. anyway. Uh, that's what I that's where I think I got cancer because I got a lot of things. I got gout when I was there from too many uh, beans. <laughs> I love beans, but I, I can't eat them because there's too much high in protein and uric acid for me. And oh, so I, 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 I didn't got, know that you'd think more Mexicans would have gout. Well, they probably do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, oh no, you assimilate. You, you, you know, when whatever you grow up with, you know, it depends where you live. That's why they asked me. Uh, a nutritionist said, where, "Where did you grow up?" I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and so my usual diet was any like potatoes, uh, as opposed to corn, you know, uh, and so I was more a potato guy, <clears throat> you know, or when you got air, when you don't have anything else, you got potatoes, you know. And I love fried potatoes. I love scalloped potatoes. Oh. I, love, <laughs> I, I love baked potatoes. I love a potato with with all the, the stuff on it. Yeah, I still do. But I got cancer, and when I when I got it, I went holistic right away. 
In fact, I had a healer in uh, British Columbia and, and, and we fought it for a good God, a couple of years, you know, and because they tell you when you get prostate, don't worry about it because you'll die of something else before that kills you. It's very slow, slow acting in some cases. But in my case, then I, then I got on Dancing with the Stars. And this is when I still had prostate, but I wasn't doing anything with it. Well, Dancing with the Stars, I, I, I ended up with a tumor on my, in my rectum. And a real pain in the ass, in other words. And, oh, my God, Jesus. Sorry, that's hilarious. But that's, I'm like, my heart's going out to you. But then, I'm like, don't wait till I laugh. I'm, I'm fucking laughing that I'll apologize. Yeah. That's a real pain in the ass. It was a real oh, pain. Oh, my God. So, wait, was it like, oh, my God. That's so, so. To, uh, it was a tumor. And, and it was probably from all the stress that I suffered during Dance with the Stars, because that's when I got it. It was right around that time. And, and so when you got a tumor, you don't fuck around with that, you know. And so right away I went into, I got one uh, cancer doctor to look at it, <laughs> just stick his finger up my butt. That, that's what happens when you got, right, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Cancer, you know, the what, what, what do I got? Prostate, prostate, yeah, yeah. Well, when you get a tumor, now you get the finger up the butt, see, and they feel around for the tumor. And, and, and do they say to hate you at all, or is it like you're sober, or do they say oh, to hate no, you for that? You're fucking sober, and I mean, it's it, it's you're being violated. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It sounds like I they should at least give you some local anesthetics or something, or put you out entirely. You know, that's Listen, I, I joke with these guys. I say, put on, <laughs> put on some jazz, <laughs> the light, light some candles. <laughs> oh. Use a lot of lubricant, man. A lot of lubricant. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and there, and so I ended up going to this one doctor. Oh which was a mistake. And, and he's not in, in the business anymore, but he was an old army doctor and his only job was sticking fingers up guys' butts and, and checking for prostate. That was oh his my, job. Oh my God. So oh was, my God. And he wasn't, wasn't gentle. They're never gentle. And, and you get violated every time, but you're, you got cancer. It's fucking cancer and it's a tumor. So then I went to, uh, first of all, I, I arranged to get a doctor, a surgeon. He's going to remove it. And the old way of removing it was really bad because they, they had a whole thing, the talk they gave you. And it was, it was really bad, the old way of doing it. And, uh, but the new way of doing it is with uh, the computer. You go in there uh, with the, with the cameras, and then you just cut out what needs to be cut out. There's no violation of anything. And so I ended up with that guy, thank God. But when they took out the tumor, they also cleaned out the prostate. So the prostate got radiated at the same time. And so I, I'm all cancer free. Praise then, God, praise God. Then they moved the, the exit around to the front. So I have a colostomy bag 
now. And uh, which, uh, you know, right away as a comedian, I, I named it the Donald. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes, that's that's so funny. (laughs) I was unaware of that, nor that in my act when I was doing stand-up, I used to I used to put that in my uh, do my act with it. And uh, needless to say, I, I never got called back on many gigs. You know, <laughs> people were that offended by the by the by that joke, or, or you just oh no, the... I, I would do the whole talk about the the prostate, you know, and the and the the bag, you know. Yeah, and and but it saved my life, and and I had other friends that they're still alive, and and they had the bag. The bag will save your life. You know, because it, there's a shortcut now, you know, and there's a lot of pluses with it. And, uh, and uh, Ernest Borgnine, remember Ernest Borgnine? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay, he was in a show called Marty, and he was married to a very beautiful lady, and he got old. Like, he was he was in From Here to Eternity with Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. He was uh, the bad guy. Anyway, he was uh, getting up there. He was like 20 years, I think, older than me. And so, but the word out was that he he was still sexually active as old as he was. He was like in his 90s, you know. And so I met him one day. And so I asked him, Ernie, do you, do you still have sex? And he could barely talk. Then he goes, I masturbate. <laughs> 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 that's so robust sorry my high frequency of of my cackle is disturbing your pet i apologize no, but isn't that perfect i masturbate so when, <laughs> now no one's ever asked me no one's ever asked me but if they ever asked me i'd tell them the same thing you know about sex because you know prostate as soon as they you know i stopped having sex I guess before I went into prison and then when I got out, you know, forget it. You know, I tried and it, it was too painful. And so uh, technically I haven't had sex since Oh five, I guess. And, uh, and so I never get asked, but if they ever ask me, I'm going to tell them the same thing. I masturbate. <laughs> right. Hey, 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 um, Tommy, I have a question. Um, do you still have sex? I masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I don't know. I guess there's now other things you could do. And, you know. I got, no, I got to tell you. First of all, I'm with a very experienced uh, guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about yourself, right? He knows where to <laughs> He knows what to touch, where to grab, when to let go, when to squeeze. He, he's a pro. He's one of the okay. And and the thing you need to make it work is a great memory and a great imagination. See, if more people would just stop there, there would be less people in jail 
there would be less people uh, in court suing people. There would be less violated uh, ladies or guys. You know, I heard this joke. My, my daughter sent me this joke. Ray Dawn. The cops pulled over these two priests and they said, uh, oh, we're looking for uh, a couple of child molesters. And the priest says, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god somebody unfriended me because i said something to the effect of like listen no face fucker is gonna save my soul and yeah it's just like you know what i, I, I might have been a little bit too blunt for the you know for some people i mean like people like uh, they unfriend me and then they like accidentally text me because i'm a different victor than the one that they're i'm like i'm the victor you unfriended from facebook because there is no god Oh. I, then I get blocked. Okay, but you know, it's just you know, I like I like fucking with Mexicans. I'm Mexican, and like you know, if you ever want to make a Mexican man uncomfortable, you you just say hey, hey, Poppy. That's it. That's all you gotta say. Hey, Poppy. They gotta be Mexican. These Mexican men are super homophobic, like for reals. Like because well, that's, it's true. that's true. Yeah, super homophobic. Like, hey, you got gay friends? You kick it with gay people? What? You you suck dick? You suck yeah. dick? It's like, dude, it's not like fucking like when you're hanging out with something, you're smoking a joint. I mean, I've literally seen people like not hit the joint the whole time I known them because they never smoke weed. But I mean, like everybody else did. So well, I don't. It's uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, again, you know, it's it's how you're trained and what you're raised in the whole thing. You see, it's your belief system. But that's a hurdle. You see, because if we were all given that the message, you know, like I've I've been given. You know, uh, and, and, and it's not a, a th you know, few are chosen, you know, uh, quite a few are blessed, but few, very few are chosen. I was one of the chosen ones, you know, I, I really was. Like I said, I never had a clue about Mexicans until I met Cheech. And Cheech was really the first Mexican that I'd ever really got to know. And, and getting to know him was, was a revelation. Because, you know, growing up in Calgary, like way, the way I did, uh, you know, it, it's, it's racist by design, you know? Um, I, for the record, I saw Cheech and Chong as a kid because, you know, we had a black box. And my parents didn't really give a shit what we watched. So, like, um, I thought you were Mexican. Yeah. I really, I legit thought you're Mexican, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Tommy Chong, that's his stage name. It's probably you know, Ching yeah. like you know, because he can't say Chingon, you know, yeah. they can't put that on the marquee. They can't say Tommy Chingon, but you know, it's Tomas, you know, Chavez or something like that. And then yeah, it's yeah. Tommy Chong, and then it's like, then then you know, I get older, and then you know, I like realize like, oh, because I used to think that we were white, and my dad was black. Because my dad's <laughs> a dark-skinned Mexican, and like so, I really no, I swear to God, well, like yeah, in, in the culture, yeah, you know, the Mexican culture, everybody's called by by what they look like. Yes, yeah. dark-skinned, um, yeah. um, light-skinned, yeah. uh, uh, brown skin. It's just yeah. like, and then also there's colorism. There, there, there's um, where like even like you know it's like oh yeah you know there's like no bigger hater of Mexicans than Mexicans, and yes. that is 
fucking true. Nobody yeah. hates a Mexican like a fucking Mexican. Like, holy it, shit. Like, yeah. um, hate. It's like, like, oh, yeah, they only, you know, they have money because of drugs. Or, oh, my, it's just so fucked up. And, oh, you know, yeah. that's just but but like, uh, I don't know, like. Uh, but that's see that, that, that that's the great equalizer. Stupidity is the great equalizer. Stupidity, no, no bounds, no color barrier, nothing. Stupidity will come over you and you can't hide stupidity. Right. You can hide up for a little while, but eventually, if you're stupid, it will show. And when it comes out, there you go. You go, oh, well, he's just stupid. That's what that's how you can explain so many people. So many things going down, you know, the way it is going down, you know, like when we were doing our movies, you know, after we did Up in Smoke, uh, Cheech and I really couldn't get another movie going because we were assigned to Lou Adler and uh, Lou Adler, you know, uh, took, took too much of his share. His share was too big <laughs> compared to what Cheech and Chong's share was. And so oh, we split, no. We split from Lou, and then we started, uh, you know, our own. And, and then that's when I took over and, and said, you know, we got to do, I got to direct, I got to direct everything. And because I'm the director, I'm the writer, I'm the director. <laughs> and then I met a Jew named Howard Brown. And Cheech, I, I tried getting Cheech involved to get us out of the contract with Lou Adler. And the worst thing, Cheech, there was a couple of Mexican lawyers, but they weren't that good. You know, they weren't, they weren't that good. They were, they look good. They dress nice, you know, very good looking. And they, they wrote the good haircut, you know, but they did not how, know how to deal with Jews. And the truth is, if you want to make it in this world, okay, especially in LA, you need either be one, know one, hire one, you need a Jew, without a doubt. You need a Jew. <laughs> I'm so Howard sorry. Brown, just... Howard Brown was my Jew. Cheech did not like Howard. He did not like Howard. Cheech's Jew was New York. Wait, Cheech's Jew? Jewish? Cheech's Jew. Like he, he, wait. he hired a Jew in New York. Oh, oh, I thought you I thought you said he's a Jew. No, he, no. Like, because there's I, Mexican I, Jews. That's what I thought you were saying. Oh right yeah. Now. Oh, I'm I know. Oh that. no, oh no, no. I thought you were telling me right now that he was a Me that he is a Mexican Jew no. or 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 was back in the day. Or I don't no, know. No, no, no. people. He, he got kind of hung up with Geraldo Rivera, you see. And Geraldo Rivera is half Jewish, but that's not good enough. It wasn't the right half. We needed the other half. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't need the Latino half. We needed the, the Jew half. Well, yeah, you know, you get a you know better rate with the Mexicans because, you know, that's somebody's cousin and, you know, they they know oh. each other from back. Each family knows each other from back from, you know, a certain city within a certain state. And it's oh, just yeah. like, oh, yeah. So all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that they, they, I have to hire them because, yeah. you know, like my aunt got fingered by their uncle. It's like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know. <laughs> why, why do I got to, you know, pay pay for other people's misdeeds? Well, 
Peach did not like the Jew that I hired. He didn't like my Jew at all. Is it because uh, you hired them or were they just like like well, making him do shit he didn't want to do? Or he, oh sorry, that might have been too Howard, forward. Howard Brown recognized right away that I had the power. You yeah. see, whoever writes and directs holds the power. You see, that's the power. And I was a writer and director. And so uh, we did what the four movies together. And then then Cheech got really tired of being of me being the director. So he, he went on his own and uh, did uh, Born in East L.A. You know, that was his his uh, solo. And that was why we broke up, you know, he, because when he wrote his movie, see, when I wrote my movies, he was uh, the star, <laughs> not just a co-star. He was a star. But when Cheech wrote his movie, I wasn't even in it. <laughs> oh, oh, man. That, uh, I mean, uh, Jesus Christ, I don't want to get involved. But Jesus, that, that, uh, I'll get involved. That's okay. You know what? That's really fucked up. I'm going to fucking go on record. That's fucked up. And yeah, that, like, like that, uh, dude, I would have been fucking kissing your ass if you would have been the fucking brains it and uh, it made yeah. me a star. You made me a fucking star. Dude, I'm making fucking movies. You're, you're, and, and whatever you want, bro. You want to direct it. You want to help co write it. You want to change some scenes around so you can, like, fuck, like, 20 chicks in the in, in in my in the feature film then yeah dude yeah because you're helping you you uh, uh, you both helped each other become stars and, and you know, like you, and what, what, what especially happened, you <laughs> what happened he he was raised he used to be an altar boy yeah he was an altar boy his dad uh, was a cop ended up a sergeant of LAPD taught criminology. Cheech was raised so straight, so straight that, that I mean, if, if, if his hair got a little long, his dad would go crazy. Cheech, and then when, after our success, then Cheech realized that, that he didn't have to play that Chicano anymore. And so then that was the end of that. But as long as he was going to be dealing with me, he's going to have to be that character because that was our trademark but yeah i was just also though it's so iconic and like it was instant hit right it wasn't like like it became a (laughs) sorry this day to this day he did not want to be typecast as that lowrider he did not want that at all you see and that's why when he went with don johnson he became a cop and and by the way, Don Johnson, she doesn't like to believe this, but he uh, he offered me the job the same time he offered Cheech. <laughs> but I was already doing that 70s show. And, and so there was no way I was going to become a cop, especially a sidekick you know, to anybody, you know, not after doing movies like we did. I mean, you know, we, we, we were hugely and we still are. We still are up there. But uh, dude, I no, purposely smoked a strain of weed because, like, it had your name on it. Yeah, I literally I wrote a re- review about it, like, because, like, I literally, like, because I do have chronic pain and, like, I do, you know, smoke weed because of the pain. And I literally, I was just like, you know, like, uh, no matter what you're, you're gonna have to, like, dude, it's 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 your reputation. Everybody knows you. It's like 
It had a high THC. It was like over 30% or it was like 30.45 or something like that. I'm not a numbers whore either, by the way, but it was very, very dense buds. Smoked a joint, went on a walk. It was fucking incredible. I like. I was like, I'm writing a review about. I like. I wrote like a three paragraph review about. Oh no, cannabis, was, cannabis, marijuana, man. I mean, everything, everything I got, I owe to, I, I owe to that thing. And meeting Cheech. And by the way, Cheech and I, when we first started out, we we never did any really heavy pot jokes. We did a couple, but not really. Until we came to LA, and then we were working in the valley in Encino, and uh, it was a, a dance club, and we got we were hired to do two shows, and after we did the first show, dancers were kind of pissed off because they had to stop dancing, in order to listen to a couple of guys be funny, you know, and dancers are you know a rare you know different kind of breed you know they don't they're not comic freaks you know. And so we never went over it so good with, that, with the first show. So then I told Cheech, I said, again, it's very serendipity. I said, there must be a character that you can, we can do that's really going to get these people. And Cheech said, well, there is one. But uh, I said, what do you mean, but? He says, well, you know, it's a little bit detrimental to the, to the, the Chicano uh, experience, I said. We're comedians. That's their job. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. And so then he came up with this lowrider character. And I come up with a bit of the car because I used to see this one black comedian do about uh, uh, called the, the date. And he'd go on a date and he'd pretend he's driving a car and he'd clean off the car. And he had all sorts. You saw the car. You know, you just do that much. So I tried to teach that. And so, so next thing you know, we invented the lowrider. And the minute Cheech got, first of all, he comes up there and rushes off the car. You see the car, he, the way he cleans it. And then he opens the door and he gets in. And he, I'm just a love machine. Don't work with nobody, you know. And then I come out, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> And that was it. That was it. Went, we, we, we got halfway through the bit and the crowd was going so nuts. <laughs> we were going so, and I heard them, man. I, when you hear, I had a, uh, an old, uh, he was an old roadie for Lenny Bruce, the road manager. In fact, he was married to Lenny's mother, Sally, for a bit, for a year. They went on a honeymoon. They had a great time. But Tony, Tony was my muse. And, and when, I, when I met Tony, uh, Tony, he, he said, you know, we were the closest thing to Lenny Bruce that he's ever seen. He, he recognized it right off the bat. Wow. What a compliment. Jeez. That's that. That means raw, powerful, hysterical, synonymous with like, hey, we're making the rules and this is what's funny. Yeah. And guess what? You're going to love it. And um, it's fucked up because sometimes comics never learn that. And it's it's horrible because it's just like what what what, you don't even believe in your own jokes. How are you going to get other people to believe in your own jokes? And so. 
and I'm writing like I'm sorry, not I'm writing. I just finished my first screenplay. I'm trying to I don't know how much I should reveal, but it's pretty much like that. I'm trying to I, I, I'm trying to emulate um, I will not emulate, but I'm just trying to make like like a, a, a the next Mexican stoner Friday. But it's not Chicha oh, Chong. I'm not stepping on any toes. Great. I'm not stepping on any toes. No, 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 no. Step all over. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just oh, no, no, no. The having because I've done stand up comedy with yeah. a partner before, and yeah. doing stand up comedy with a partner, in my experience, has been like way harder than doing it by yourself because it's, oh, yeah. because not only do you have to have timing you, you, your partner has to have timing and so yeah. and then both your timings have to just bounce off each other in a way right. where it's just theatrical and and so and beautiful like it's just it's like wow it's so natural and it like like you know that's outside of looking in you're just like you know how many times we've done this how many times like you know by the time you know, we, we see the end product. It's just like, wow, wow. It's just uh, so I, I, I was wondering. So as a screenwriter um, who or uh, I wrote my first script, I should say I'm all cocky and arrogant. <laughs> who gives a shit you wrote a movie? No, but I mean, do you have like any advice for writing comedy movies since you have a lot of experience writing iconic, legendary? Do you have, do you have a cast? I have. have I mean, like to be because honest, the first thing you want to do with any screenplay is have it read, have a have a reading. You know, sit around, get actors, get people to read the different parts, and and then and go through scene by scene, read it, record it, record the the thing, uh, the the different things, and then see who who you can get for different parts in, in the screenplay. But be very careful. Make sure that you register the script with the the Writers Guild. Oh, I I did one better. I I copywrote it. I copyrighted it with the yeah, uh, Library you... of Congress. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, I'm. I, I, and so like I I was like I could shoot you the script because it's like re you know it's registered and so it's yeah. good. It's good until I no, die plus seventy years. <laughs> Unless you got someone that want you know that will read it, but you want to get the actors, you want to hear that script as a movie. You know, there's no shortcuts. Oh, into it anyway. You know, you're going to have a reading. So have reading, have it, listen to it, see where you can tweak it. If you can't tweak it anywhere, then then uh, make sure you got it recorded. Record the read. Record the read. Because a lot of times people, you know, they don't have time. They're, they're listening to all these different scripts. They're reading scripts every day. And it doesn't take a, too long to go, okay, I like it. Or it needs work or, or you know, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, the, the golden rule always has been a name. You need a name. I, I once had Lou Adler look at a, a musical. And he gave me some great advice. He says, for musicals, you need tunes that are recognizable, that other people recognize. You know, if you get too original, then it's uh, no one has any way of going, uh, yeah, investors. You know, if you do something original, then be prepared to raise the money, do it all yourself. If you're going to do it, you want money to come in, then you got to aim at a certain uh, uh, what you know, a target, 
and then do it that way. But if you if you got your your script copyright, then start putting it to life. Get people to read it, and then because you can always read it, and when you can always tweak it. You know, there's always things that you can tweak, or there's a lot of things you can add. You say, you know. Oh yeah, this is good, but we, we need something else. We, you know, a little something here and something there, you know. And then the other thing you gotta do is what period is it in? What yeah. clothing, what what look would you want? How can you make see that was Cheech's genius was when he discovered when he designed the lowrider, he designed every bit of that costume. Look how iconic that costume is. Cheech, he designed the yellow, the red suspenders. He, mm-hmm. he had a vision, man. He had a vision, what you're doing. And, and that's what you want to do with yours. You know, you got a good character. You envision how he looks. Get it on tape as soon as you can. And then sell that motherfucker, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you. Jesus. Oh, no, because like I and I'm not trying to name drop here, but like I made a new friend. Um, who's actually like he used to be the main writer on Phineas and Ferb on Disney. Um, oh. And um, he was like a total. He is a total sweetheart. And he's all like he's all, he saw one of my he saw me do stand up on Zoom. And he was like and he sent me a message. He's like, you're hysterical. And I was like, oh, thanks, because I get a lot of complaints. So I screenshot it and I sent it to the producers. And like five minutes later, they sent me the Wikipedia back. It's like this guy's like uh, Emmy nominated writer and music composer. And I'm like, oh, that guy thinks I'm hilarious. And then he asked me if he, he's like, have you ever uh, considered writing scripts? And I handed him two scripts right there on the spot. I was like, I was wondering if you could like look at these and you don't have to or I could pay you. And like he was like super cool about it. he's like my, he's like my writing mentor now. And I'm just like. I don't, I, I don't deserve this. I don't like, I don't deserve you to give me these gems, but I'm so glad I asked, you know, maybe I am, but I don't like, it's just like the law, the, the, the stars aligned in a certain way for me to talk to you today, you know, and uh, Linda Marcus Smith, she was a big role in, in this. I wanted to give her a shout out because I, I was so excited about naming all the people that, you know, I, had recorded episodes with and people that said that they were down to do it. And she, she told me, Hey, she just sent me a message at like two o'clock in the morning, just randomly. And she's like, do do you want to interview Tommy Chong? And I'm like, and I got anxiety and I was like, are are you, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, like, like Cheech and Chong, Tommy Chong. She's like, yeah, yeah, of, of course. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I would love to, if he's down, if he's I mean, I don't I don't know what he's up to, you know, right now, the second, you know, like, you know, with the pandemic and everything. And, you know, maybe he doesn't want to do it because I'm not a celebrity or I don't, I don't know. And it's like, oh, no, no, he's a he's a sweetheart. I was like, oh, no, I know he's a sweetheart. I'm just like, I don't, I, I just not sure if he's going to want to do my podcast. So it's just like I'm like really like super appreciative of you and your time and your wisdom and just everything. Because like, to be honest with you, like I, I, I didn't go to sleep last night. It was like, I took a fucking, I'm sorry. I, it's like, I took a huge bag of Coke last night. And I swear to God, I didn't take any drugs. Okay. I took sedatives, but it, it's just like, I, um, for my anxiety, it was so, um, clonazepam, but at any rate, um, it's just like, 
I couldn't sleep. He's had anxiety because I'm just like, oh, my God, I don't want to fumble this. And then I'm like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? It's like, dude, you're not you don't you, you know, it's not it's not like I'm racist and I'm going to say something racist. And then, oh, well, shit, I can't publish this now. Or, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, Tommy Chong's going to think I'm an idiot or not funny or a fat slob or, or some comment. <laughs> so it's just like these are the the insecurities that are like going on yeah. in my brain. So I'm just like, but but the, the, the gems of of just everything and it's like also i had like i have like a bunch of like weed related questions but it's just like i don't want to undermine this interview because it's been so deep i don't want to be like yo sativa hybrid (laughs) it's just like dude i just talked to you about life and the the universe and how how awesome everything i mean so i i just but but you know it's just I, I asked a bunch of people, like, does anybody have any questions for Tommy Chong? Because I'm going to interview him. And a bunch of pe- I got a bunch of wow reactions, like could not believe it. And I'm just like, well, we'll see. You know, he might he might flake out. We, we don't you know, maybe. But like um, uh, I wanted to ask you this question because this this stuck out to me out of all the questions that I got. I got a ton of questions. And um, this is like this one stuck out to me. And it's uh. The character of Cheech played strongly upon the stereotype of the 1970s Chicano and Cheech's Mexican heritage. And one could argue as a result, Cheech became a Latin American cultural icon. In contrast, Chong's Chinese heritage is rarely emphasized, and there are very few Chinese American stereotypes applied to the character of Chong. Was this a conscious decision on the part of Tommy and Cheech? And if so, why did they make that choice? If it was not a conscious decision, do you have any thoughts as to why that dynamic ended up being that way? Good question. Well, the truth is, like you, you thought that I was Mexican. And the, the truth is, yeah, I'm more Mexican than I am Chinese. Because even though I, I learned how to cook, Chinese. I had a Chinese girlfriend for a little bit because the Chinese uh, race really disowned me. You know, the minute, you know, the Chinese uh, by, by nature, they're very, very uh, racist in as far as tribalism goes, you know, uh, like if you, if, if you don't, it's like the French, you know, like if you're from uh, the country, you know, the French have a snobby way of treating you as opposed to if you're from the city. And the Chinese are the same way. If you're mixed in any way, then you're not Chinese as far as they're concerned. Uh, and then if you are Chinese, then, then you're either Cantonese or Mandarin. And if you're Mandarin, well, you're sort of like on one side and, and, and it goes on and on and on. And it goes into the caste and money and everything else. So technically, I'm more Mexican, like you said. And the reason being, when I was in Army Cadets uh, in Vernon, B.C., <clears throat> the badasses of the town were zoot suiters, or uh, they were like white pachucos, wh- white guys w- adopting the, the Mexican mode of clothes, you know, the draped pants the the whole look the hat the, the the chains the the slouch the cigarette all of that it was a pachuco and when i was a teenager 
I that I want I love the Chuko look. I never had the money to really afford any of the clothes. And one time I I I, I, I tried to sew my own um, drape pants. I tried to make my own drape pants. It was pretty sad. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say that's pretty fly, man. I mean, if you had the yeah. skills to 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 make that, that's pretty that's pretty cool. Like that's, yeah, no, that's resourceful. Really- like the look in the in the long hair, the long hair with the ducktail. See, that was pure <laughs> Pachuco, as opposed to Cheech being, uh, you know, an altar boy, you know. So, <laughs> so I was more a Pachuco, mentally too, you know. The the mindset of mine was, you know, that's where I got the anti sort of cop attitude, you know. It was more, uh, and then when I started when they added the, the stoner in there, you know, the doper, the, again, it was hanging out. Well, look, at look, 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 look at the, our first manager, the Lenny Bruce guy, Tony Bascara was, was his name. He was Lenny Bruce's uh, um, road manager for a while. And he was, he married Lenny Bruce's mother. Well, he was a Chicano. He was Tony Buscara, man. He had done time in jail for being in a gang. He shot a kid one time accidentally with a zip gun. He, he, he was running and they tripped and he, the kid in front of him got shot. And, and oh, Tony, shit. well, Tony became my mentor in a sense that he helped me with the comedy just by criticizing i'm sorry i'm this is too relatable to me that's too relatable it's just brutally honest friendship or just like listen you could do better because you're wasting my time he he told us you know we we, we'd do a show you know and and like we're opening for cannonball adderley or somebody and we we do a show we kill the audience oh man they're almost standing ovation and tony said relax man he says, when, when you see, when you go to a, a theater and the lineup around the block is there to see you, <laughs> now you can feel good about yourself. But if you're there to see someone else and you come up and entertain them, all you did was entertain them. You didn't do shit. And, and, and <laughs> that's what put. Well, that's Tony Biscara. See, Tony was a real live pachuco. He was the live zoot suitor. He was the guy. And Tony and I hung together. In fact, I asked because he hung with Lenny. He was the one that gave Lenny his last uh, bit of heroin that killed him. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. And, And so Tony, I asked Tony, I said, Tony, what's the big deal about heroin? And Tony didn't say a word. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a little tab of heroin and gave it to me. (laughs) <laughs> what it, wait, was it China White or was it Black Tar or like what? it was kind of it was some kind of uh, uh, brown it wasn't white at all it was brown was it sticky or was it powdery it was far as I know it was uh, sorry I don't mean to like grill you because okay so that's more China White um, because I used to be I'm, I'm a recovering addict I used to do Black Tar and so I you know I found a method like I like you know monkey see monkey do 
I learned yeah. from like, you know, the like the the the, the prince of the poppy seeds because yeah. this dude like seriously knew how to have like like he would filter it out with an oral syringe and cotton and I'm he had this whole system and it's it was incredible. I'm like, I don't know how you figured this fucking out, but this is fucking genius. Well uh, Tony, Tony and his girlfriend Diane. I'm glad you didn't like it. <laughs> well, I didn't do it. Oh, oh, my bad. Oh, I didn't do it. I'm glad you didn't do it then. I put it in my pocket, took it home, hid it in my sock drawer. Every once in a while, I'd take it out and look at it. And then finally, I just flushed it down the toilet because I knew, I knew how dangerous it was. I know how dangerous it was. I've seen it all my life. You know, growing up in Vancouver, I seen people laying in the gutter with a syringe in their arm. You know, yeah. I've seen it and, and I work with people that were perfectly well, they're all dead now. They're all gone. Everyone, everyone, they're all dead. And and so I knew I knew better. And so what I did with Tony, I as we progressed, Cheech and I progressed, I tried to get him on the road as a roadie, but but he he was <laughs> too old really, and he wasn't up to carrying heavy shit around or, you know, making sure the guitars were there. He, he just wasn't up, up for it. And so what I did, I made him a writer in uh, Nice Dreams for Nice Dreams. And I gave him a contract and he was a, he was a screenwriter. And so Tony said, well, what do you want me to write? I said, write a, a script about your, your, your uh, life, you know, and your thing. And he took, <laughs> Tony, to, he was such a good com com comedy writer. He told me about his time in this halfway house, which was a motel. It was on uh, like Kwanga around out there in Hollywood Hills. Uh, but it was a halfway house for, for all sorts of people with mental problems, junkie, you know, heroin problems, all sorts of things. And Tony was in charge of medication. <laughs> He, it was like a halfway house and he's in charge of medication oh god i can only and imagine so tell me all these stories about the characters that were in this halfway house and he i have i had him write a script and i got the script somewhere here well halfway through the movie tony od'd he 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 Every every cent I gave him, he put it in his arm. Oh wait! Oh, oh my god! Every penny. Oh my god! He just but he went out. He went out happy. He went out the way he wanted, and uh, and it was when he got the last check. That was the last. And I and I get a call from the ambulance driver, you know, and they're driving Tony, and they want to know, um, are you responsible for this man? And I said no. <laughs> oh my god that's a hell of a fall you're a man what did he well, that's a whoa that's oh my god that's that's because, horrible how old was he i, I didn't want to pay i didn't want to pay that the the, 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 hospital, the hospital bill or the whole thing the whole thing you know thousands of dollars if you, if you did you know and oh so, my god. so so anyway sally is um his ex-wife, actually, Lenny Bruce's mother, she paid for the funeral. And we buried Tony in, he's, he's buried in a, a plot in um, 
in the downtown LA or, you know, Riverside, you know, the, the funeral home there. And we had a couple of uh, comics. Jackie Gale was one of the pallbearers. And uh, Carrie and Tony, he swore Tony everywhere we went. <laughs> He's carrying Tony, you motherfucker, you would have to get the, 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 the site on a hill. What the fuck, Tony? Why couldn't you? Have- <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was. Oh my God! The poor, poor, the whole family's there just listening to this we guy. <laughs> laughed, we laughed, we laughed so hard. And oh there must have been, there must have been, ten, maybe eleven, ex-girlfriends, wives, girlfriends, all mourning Tony. You know, he was a handsome guy. And he had he had it going. Oh yeah, oh, Tommy. Yeah. I I I gotta say it, man, because like I have something in common with I I lost a friend who overdosed by accident uh, because it was laced with fentanyl. And he was a he inje- he was a heroin user, and um we went we went to his memorial and like you know it was a rough crowd because like nobody was clapping and people gave some really heartfelt speeches and then they opened it up and had these cordless mics and he had like girlfriend after 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 girlfriend there was at least twelve women that testified about. Mark was my boyfriend. I used to go out with Mark. I was Mark's <laughs> girlfriend. Like we went steady and all that. Like, but every chick was trying to outdo the last one. And then the last chick who spoke, she's like, uh, she really said this in front of like at least 250 people. She said, Mark, he was just a really great guy. I dated him in middle school and then again in high school and then again after high school. And, you know, Mark was a really talented uh, dr- uh, artist. And he was an excellent musician, just great drummer, animal lover. Mark was just a, such a great guy. You know what? I wish Mark was here right now so we could rock my world one more time. Yeah. I was like, dude, she should have just dropped the fucking mic. It was, oh, my God. I was like, that's how I want to go out. That's how I want to go. That's the <laughs> memorial I fucking want. And oh my god! So like you know, you're telling me about about your your friend and all these girlfriends coming to mortem, and it's just like, hey, who the fuck are you? Hey, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And it's just like, yeah. mine had microphones. Mine had microphones. <laughs> That's horrible. That's horrible. It's just, it's just. I mean, and it's 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 fucked up because I can't talk about it on stage because like you know, I don't know his. I I know his parents, and you know, as well. And if they listen to this episode, you know. I did. I did love their son. He was one of my best friends. So, you know, I feel that Mark would be cool with me joking about it. I really do. Well, and, I, um, I did a funeral. Uh, my ex landlord, and then he became my uh, gardener and caretaker for the houses that I bought. Um, when he died, uh, I, I had to do the uh, speak for it. And, and so I did a bit that was true, you know, because um, because Frank, Frank was Italian and uh, I, I got a, he, he started right at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, he grew his hair real long and started smoking pot, you know, up until then he was a good, you know, straight uh, Italian uh, homeowner, gardener, 
you know, he was a master gardener. He, he had a farm in Italy. But anyway, the story I told was that he, he uh, was taking care of my house and I had an apartment, uh, a, 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 quite a bit of land in Bel Air. And the land went up a hill and halfway up the hill was a, a, a natural stream. And so he built a cistern uh, with a natural stream, like a big pool of water, you know, and then he would uh, water the garden with that natural stream. But he also had an area where he grew something like about 40 pot plants. <laughs> Because I had hippies, I had hippies uh, work on my house, and and they back in the day they would get their weed that had seeds in it. Yeah, and they would clean the weed and the seeds, and and so Frank found this big bag of seeds, and so you know he told me I, I, I put a few plants here and everything <laughs> grow, you know. Oh my God! And yes. He, then he learned how to pee on the perimeter so to keep the deer away. And they grew to be 16, 16 feet high. Sativa. Oh, they were the best weed, some of the best weed I've ever had in my life. Really? So, That's awesome. Yeah. So I told him. But we had a neighborhood kid in the that was sneaking in and stealing. Uh, no weed yeah oh, what yeah. a prick and so he come in there with a garbage bag and so frank knew you know he could tell that where something was going on and so frank sat up there one night with with a gun in his lap on his lap and and waiting for the guy and sure enough the kid shows up starts stealing the weed and just then he frank says okay you son of a bitch you drop it the bag or I'm going to shoot you in the ass. <laughs> and when someone tells you where they're going to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is that is incredible. But so the, was... kid, so the kid, stopped, he, he dropped the bag and then, he, of course, he went home. So I had a uh, so the next day, Frank told me what happened. So I walked down to the I knew what house it was, you know, it was a rock and roll house. And so I walked over to the house and the music is playing real loud. I knocked on the door. Music stops playing. Dad comes to the door. Yes. I said, listen, your son's been stealing plants out of my garden. And I want him to stop because he's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get hurt. He said, what kind of plants? I said, marijuana plants. He said, isn't that illegal? I said, yes. So you tell him to stop fucking with my plans and then the dad says <laughs> i'll tell him <laughs> and, and that was it no more, <laughs> no more problem with the, with the kid that was the end of it oh I, my. Told that, I told that story <laughs> at frank's funeral and there was the biggest everybody it was a release everybody laughed because that was so frank you know he had the ability to grow and, and then to save the plant, what he grew, you know? Oh, oh my God. That is, God. but I mean, seriously, though, I mean, that's, oh, my God. Like, the fact that you went and you, you delivered the eulogy 
that's yeah. that's really big of, of, of you because like it's just like it, you're busy you know you have a lot of stuff going on and it's just like i really like for you to go out of your way to do all that and then to help people that are mourning really speaks a lot to to have them laugh oh they laughed they laughed they loved it they loved it i mean they were still mourning the guy but oh absolutely you know, yeah but i mean, I mean that, that's the whole point of, of what we do for a living you know our job is to make people laugh regardless of the situation you know and uh yeah i love that okay oh all right um i'm sorry um i i, I want to be very respectful of your time uh you've given me a lot of your time um you got any more questions yeah i actually just had um i actually have a ton but i want to get to the most important one um okay so um i wrote my senior thesis at the University of California, Santa Cruz, my upper division sociology requirement. Uh, I wrote a senior thesis called the attitudes and effectiveness of drug education in the American public school system. And it was about the dare program and we pretty much found out based on qualitative and quantitative research, you know, with like numbers, like, and all that stuff that there is, um, um, people that, um, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the program failed. And it made kids more um, likely to use drugs and not just um, cannabis or marijuana, but like harder drugs. And because they were um, tempted because of the D.A.R.E. program, because it was just say no. And so I was wondering if you had any ideas or thoughts on how uh, drug education should be handled in the American public school I system. Do. I do. In fact, I did it uh, last week. We had a, a session, it was called Cannabis um, Therapy. It was Cannabis Therapy Session. And what we did, I, I tested it out like I'm the patient. Uh, I smoked a joint and then my guide that was taking me through the session uh, start, did a, we did a meditation you know, and then I put on earphones and I laid down and I listened to music, healing music. And part of the, the, the therapy is that you talk while you're listening and, and words have a, a tendency to, to linger longer if, if it's done with music you know and what happens is that your your it relaxes the music relaxes your whole body so you can take in a lot of a lot of information and the information that i was talking about was the power of of god the power of the human experience the power of uh, the power that we have within us and how to use that power. And um, the, the session lasted for about, I guess about an hour. It could have gone on longer, but I, I got, I was so revved up with the, with the idea. I kept thinking in my head how this could be used in therapy, you know, because it really is like a therapy session only instead of using acid, or any uh, ayahuasca or any any kind of uh, mind altering uh, substances, 
use cannabis because cannabis is more gentle on it and it, and, and you don't get taken away that deep you know sometimes it's good or for me it was good but it was only a one-time thing with the acid but the cannabis is like daily and so i what i see now doing halfway houses rehab houses using cannabis therapy where you smoke up or you you toke up with the bongs or whatever and uh, and then you have uh, someone talk to you talk to your subconscious more than anything and remind you of who you are and what you're capable of doing and and how how to to loosen uh, how to lose bad habits you know and 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 re really the, the only thing i would add to this now the way the, the, my guy did it uh, was that he used more um uh, uh, more yoga technique, you know, where, where uh, you clear your mind and, and so on. I want to use more uh, music and, uh, and the spiritual technique, the Goldsmith, the Goldsmith book, because I see... Um, if, if you just read, this is what I did with my daughters. When I was sick with cancer, I had my daughters come and read to me. Uh, and, and so as they read, it affected their life. And so this is an, an example, an ex excerpt of, of the, the book called The Master Speaks. And as people are laying there with the headphones on, this is what they're hearing. Illumination dissolves all material ties and binds men together with the golden chains of spiritual understanding. It acknowledges only the leadership of the Christ. It has no ritual, no rule, but the divine, impersonal, universal love. No other worship then the inner flame that is ever lit at the shrine of spirit. This union is the free state of spiritual brotherhood. The only restraint is the discipline of soul. Therefore, we know liberty without license. We are un a united universe without physical limits. A divine service to God without ceremony or creed. The illuminated walk without fear by grace. That's beautiful and very thought provoking. And just, I really like, I, I, like I've, had, I've had a lot of epiphanies talking to you today. And to, to be honest with you, like, what I thought was going to happen and what happened, I, I'm so happy it worked out the way that it did because I really feel enlightened. I feel empowered and I really feel like I, I, I'm so lucky to just have you um, educate me with learning more about myself 
learning more about what's out there and to try to sell my script. Jesus Christ, what the hell am I doing? But, uh, <laughs> you, uh, you know, but no, uh, is there anything you want to plug before I, um, we, we, we part ways? No, the only thing I want everybody to do, especially yourself, is to get these books. This is a Joel S. Goldsmith book, okay? Okay. And, and, and there's one other book. His name is Emmett Fox. Emmett Fox. And his is the Ten Commandments. His is the book that, these are the two books that I read without, without fail. This is, oh no, this is a Patrick Lane book. No, I, I got the Emmett Fox always gets uh, borrowed or something, but get Emmett Fox, get Joel Goldsmith and read them every night and, and read a different chapter. Uh, you, you'll love them. You, you'll love them. He, he, he's on online, you know, Gold, Joel S. Goldsmith, you can get him online. All the books he's got in there. Uh, I think you can get some uh, um, uh, audio books if you want he, he has some tapes where he actually talked in the tape his voice is kind of funny sounding but i i love him i, I love the guy i love the whole thing but that that's 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 what you got to do we all have the power you know like we're you know like i have a tesla electric car and and uh, and i realized that tesla it's so advanced that I will, in my lifetime, I will never conquer everything that that car can do. <laughs> you know, there'll be something that, oh, that's how you do it. Like I just learned how to use Siri, uh, you know, just, just recently. And I still don't know how to, you know, or Alexa, you know, so get, get these books. I will because I really have been asking people that for book recommendations and you just recommended me authors in addition to books and, you know, certain books and specific yeah. books. And so I really do. I personally will check them out and I encourage everybody to check them out. And especially if you only, um, only if you want to advance in this spiritual manner, you know, if you're content with yourself or or you think, you know, whatever, whatever you are. But the last thing I want to do is, is, in fact, Goldsmith, one thing he tells you to do is, he says, don't go trying to start some new religion. Don't <laughs> try to write a book. I've written the book. Don't do any more than turn people on to my books. He's, because I've done the heavy lifting. No, it's your job to to pick the fruit. You know, you don't have to grow the tree. You don't have to tend the tree. All you have to do is live off the fruit that it, that it, it it gives you. And if you can do that, then you're way ahead of the game, because that's that's really what we're doing. Our life is like the game of golf. If you've ever played golf, the idea. Think about golf. The idea is to put your ball into a hole. That's all. And the least strokes that you do to get that ball in the hole makes you a winner. And that's life. That is life. Our job is to 
get others like us. And if we can't do that, then help others do our job for them, for, for us. You know, there's always something that we can do to help, you know, and, and that's, that's the message that, that I, 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 I want to leave with everybody is that the secret of life is found through helping others. When you help others, you're getting close to the real secret of life. You have no idea who you're helping. How many people have helped me and had no idea what they were unleashing onto the world? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, your messages have always been peaceful. You've never been hateful or spiteful. It's just, it's been out of love. It's been out of observation. It's just, I just, I don't know. I think you're a unique breed and the, your, your, your generosity with 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 being so encouraging and like honestly like i i i feel so empowered and i i really do i i i've i've always respected you and i've always loved you as as a as a comedian and now i really have i fuck man i fucking love you dude you do thank you so thank you so much man thank you for 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 making my podcast better and thank you for making my life better and um, let's do it again Anytime you you name it, whenever you need it, uh, dude, come I'm, back next week. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you, you dude, it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stop recording. <laughs> okay, Take care, bro. I love you, brother. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, do your boy a favor. Tell your friends, tell your cool family members, tell your cool co-workers, let them know about the podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and be sure to follow me on all social media, Puro Papi Pacheco, and check out my website at HispanicTitanic.com for future dates. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.